You're listening to a podcast from the RSA. You can find out more about RSA events and projects and how to get involved with the fellowship by visiting our website, thersa.org. I'm Tony Greenham, the Director of Economy, Enterprise and Manufacturing here at the RSA, and it's my pleasure to welcome you here today for what will be uh, both a very important debate, but also, I think, a very lively one. Now, the focus of our conversation today are the 17 Sustainable Development Goals that were adopted by the UN just a few months ago in September 2015. Ban Ki-moon has described these goals as representing a shared vision of humanity and a social contract between the world's leaders and its people. Summing up, it's a to-do list for people and planet. So at the RSA today, we're going to consider what the UK should be doing in order to turn this vision into reality. And so we're delighted to be joined by our expert panel today to help us explore this, and particularly the roles to be played by the state, civil society, by business, and indeed by us as individuals. So on our panel, we'll hear first from Hugh Iranka-Davies. Hugh is Labour MP for Ogmore and a candidate for the National Assembly of Wales. He was also, up until very recently, the chair of the Environmental Audit Committee. And there he led an inquiry into the government's approach to the global goals. We're also joined by Rosanna White. Rosanna is post-2015 advocacy advisor at Save the Children, where she now leads their work globally on the implementation of the 2030 agenda. And then we have Farouk Ula. He is executive director of Stakeholder Forum and co-chair of UK Stakeholders for Sustainable Development, an open platform that supports public, private and voluntary organisations working towards sustainable development in the UK. And finally, we also have Piers Bradford. Piers is Managing Director of Project Everyone, which, as you may have seen from the short video playing as you came in today, is a global campaign founded by Richard Curtis with the aim of popularising the SDGs. That's the jargon we're going to use, SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals. Piers spent 2015 setting up and delivering Radio Everyone, a pop-up radio station, to promote the global goals, which had over 600 broadcast partners in 75 different countries. So, first of all, Hugh, please uh, give us your opening thoughts on the global goals. Uh, Thank you, Tony, and thank you to the RSA as well for hosting this event. Um, great pleasure to be here. I've been described as the, in the, um, on the website there as the outgoing chairman of the Environmental Audit Committee. I'm now the outgone chairman. <laughs> I, uh, I am in the past, uh, but I hope some of my thoughts might uh, at least set some of the context from a policymaker's point of view and from holding governments to account, particularly here in the UK. Uh, last summer, as many of you will know, we undertook a quite large range of inquiry where we had over 100 submissions Uh, written submissions over the summer from organisations looking at the government's approach to sustainability in a wide range, from energy, natural environment, everything. Sustainable development goals, everything was in there. Massive range of uh, submissions to it. We followed that up in the autumn with a large um, uh, open table event where about 150 people attended in the House of Commons and we had a great uh, panel there of experts to discuss what we'd heard in there. Let me just touch on some of those issues. Uh, We'd heard in some of the written evidence, for example, that there was praise for some of the government's approach to issues that will touch on the sustainable development goals. Things like natural capital accounting being put into a 25-year plan, being embedded into government, being embedded into the Treasury, controversial as it is, but actually embedded in the natural environment into mainstream government thinking. 
But we also heard some real criticism as well of where government was, the difference between their high-level aspirations and the great work that they've just done on a high-level uh, ambition coalition coming out of COP21 compared with some of the very mixed signals uh, that were happening here domestically, whether it was on uh, energy, energy efficiency, energy generation, renewables, all of that. Um, so a very mixed bag in terms of what people are thinking about the government. When we held that big uh, event with, pan with panellists and about 150 people attending, the Green Alliance, uh, who were on the panel, they thought that recent government policy announcement meant that the urgent, in terms of government priorities and political priorities, had actually trumped the important, and this is a key thing with sustainable development goals, how do you make sure that they stick with the long term and what they need to do, as opposed to what the electorate, might, they might think, is demanding them to do in the short term in order to win the next election or get to the next budget statement. And the, and the Green Alliance also thought that the government was seen to have a, a compliance approach to the environment, to do what's necessary, but no further, which is a big issue when you talk about SDGs, uh, because we actually need to be going further, leading further, being more ambitious, both domestically and internationally. Um, the Wildlife Trust you know, welcomed some of the progress made, particularly on things like the marine environment, although I have to say we have to do a, a hell of a lot more. Uh, but they also criticised issues around housing decisions and planning decisions and so on. Marks and Spencers uh, were actually very, the spokesmen from there were very progressive. They talked about the need for things like a real, simple, stable carbon price, the need to ratchet up the ambition and the level of achievement over time, domestically and internationally. The change in narrative, Marks and Spencer said, to one of green growth, green growth, let's get back on to that. Um, and so on. And the Committee on Climate Change flagged up some progress, but again painted a very mixed uh, picture, including on things like climate change adaptation with flood responses to flood. Real long-term thinking seemed to be absent. You know, they noted, for example, that recently there had been some increase and in announcements for increasing in flood spending, but it was nowhere near actually the holistic approach we needed to dealing with flood uh, management and response to climate change adaptation. So all of those um, take us forward as to, take me forward to some thoughts on where should we be going? How do we monitor and measure uh, government? Well, we brought in government ministers uh, to respond to what we'd heard through the autumn, through the summer. Um, Oliver Letwin uh, said in terms of sustain sustainability, this is now a mainstream part of the government's agenda we do not see sustainable development as a separate bit sitting around. It's how we do business. And on accountability, he said, I guess that I'm the most likely to be the person who's sacked by the Prime Minister if it all goes wrong. So in that sense, I suppose there's a line of accountability because for me as a policymaker, we want to know where the buck stops. That is not quite as catchy as the buck stops with him. But he said, <laughs> sort of, maybe I'm the guy. Hey, I, what I actually want to know, when I was a minister... I was really accountable, and we'll come to that in, in a, a short moment in my concluding remarks. But in fairness to Oliver Latwin, he explained how wide-ranging the SDGs are. He said they couldn't be brought together by one person. He said they have to be handled in a serious-minded way by the great big departments of state with secretaries of state. And echoing the National Audit Office, who had been very outspoken, as one of our panellists, by the way, on the forum we had, very outspoken, that he echoed them when he said that reporting on and monitoring performance was what the government was trying to do through single departmental plans. But I would put to you, 
single departmental plans can end up in silo thinking. When we're talking about SDGs, including whether it's international development, the foreign office, domestically, within DEFRA, DEC, whatever, you actually need joined-up thinking as well. So let me get to the concluding parts. As the outgone chairman of the Environmental Audit Committee, I think it's critical um, that we find a way. When, when the Sustainable Development Commission was abandoned back in 2010, the Conservative ministers of the time said, listen, uh, don't worry about that, that's okay. Uh, the ones who will take over will be the Environmental Audit Committee. Now, what the SDC used to do was set the metrics to, as to how to hold government to account, and regularly, at least annually, and colleagues here at the far end of this panel were actually involved in this, would produce the report that says whether they had achieved it or not. And I think we need to think about that with Sustainable Development Goals as well, because they traffic light departments, individuals, government as a whole, to say whether they were red, amber or green. And that put the fear of God through ministers, through secretaries of states, through departments. It's not good enough for Oliver Letwin or others simply to say, yeah, we're on the right sheet about this and we're all talking about the great things we want to do. They've got to be held accountable and measured and monitored and pushed further. So maybe, in my closing thought, as the outgone chairman, we need to look at measurement, monitoring, performance and doing that on a regular systematic basis on government. Otherwise, ministers retreat into a comfort zone. Excellent. Thank you very much, Hugh. And so we'll, we'll go immediately to Roseanne for your, your comments. Great, thank you. Um, and really great to be here uh, today for such, a, such an exciting discussion. Um, I've been working um, on the Sustainable Development Goals now for about a year. Um, I started last January really working on the negotiation process um, at the UN um, and really looking to get um, an outcome um, uh, as, as best as possible for, for the world's most vulnerable children. Um, so Save the Children has been engaging at the UN level during the negotiations, but we've also been working at regional level and then at national level as well to really kind of push for an agreement um, that, that puts the furthest behind first. So I could talk for a long time about the final agreement, um, and my colleagues have begged me not to, um, but I will try and limit my comments to three major shifts um, that, that we have seen in comparison to, to the agreement on the Millennium Development Goals. So the new agenda was agreed by 193 member states, um, and it charts a new course compared with the MDGs. So I would characterise the three major shifts as being narrative, because the SDGs represent a real advance in how we will view success, so getting to zero on extreme poverty and preventable child deaths. We're not going part of the way with any of these goals. We want to achieve them all by 2013 and achieve them completely. Um, leaving no one behind by delivering change for all and not some. So meeting the targets for all nations, all peoples and for all segments of society. And that's actually a commitment that's written into, uh, into the document. Um, the, the agreement integrates social, economic and environmental issues as well. Um, integration is a, is a huge um, sort of pillar of this, of this agenda and means that we finally have a fully rounded um, vision of sustainable development and it's universal so it applies to all countries. My second shift is the normative shift. So the Sustainable Development Goals offer wins at some of the most progressive limits of development. So on governance, peace, peaceful and inclusive societies, on gender and sexual and reproductive health, on um, inequality, there's a whole goal on inequality in there, and on climate change as well. 
And then thirdly, on ownership. So the SDGs are an agenda of the people, by the people, for the people. So that means transparent, inclusive development um, and a negotiation process over three years, which involved global citizens, civil society, uh, UN member states. It was the most participatory process in UN history. Compared with the MDGs, it also um, has been shaped and agreed by all as well. So no member state can say that they don't apply or that they haven't been involved in any way, shape or form. There's real ownership on this agenda and so therefore real ownership in the delivery as well. But for Save the Children, I would say one of the most transformational commitments that we see in this final agreement is the commitment to leave no one behind. Um, the commitment in there is to put the furthest behind first um, and to deliver on this um, on this agreement to make sure that these targets are met for everybody. Um, and it applies to all countries. So by the end of the negotiations, um, I found this uh, particularly interesting. So the children have been um, campaigning at the UN to make sure that this commitment on meeting the goals and targets for what we were saying um, would be for all social and economic groups um, was, was included in the agenda. Um, and so we spent a lot of time talking to member states, um, both at the UN and at national level. Um, and by the end um, of, the, of the negotiations, 84 member states had backed this um, and 3,200 and civil society organisations around the world. So it really feels um, that this is something that everyone is behind um, and that there's a real kind of um, partnership involved in taking this forward. Um, so in terms of um, implementing this amazing agenda, now that um, we have the 17 goals and 169 targets, how, how do governments implement this for, for the next 15 years? Well, there are, um, there are a couple of um, UN-level um, processes that are yet to be um, tied up. So the first is on indicators. So we have the goals, we have the targets, and now the indicators about how um, we're going to be able to measure these. Um, and there's a global process happening at the moment um, around what these indicators look like, um, with the idea being that at national level then governments can come up with their own national level indicators that sort of play into those. Um, so that's something that if you're interested in data, um, keep an eye out for. Um, and the other one is on accountability or follow-up and review. So the final um, agreement of the, uh, of the Sustainable Development Goals is split into five parts. The preamble, the declaration, the goals and targets, um, means of implementation, which is more about how they're going to deliver them and the financial and non-financial implications of that, um, and then follow-up and review, which is essentially accountability, um, and that process to work out you know, what these accountability mechanisms will look like at the global, regional and national levels um, is ongoing at the moment and should culminate in the high-level political forum, which is being held at the UN in July. So that's just a couple of um, moments to just throw out there, um, and maybe we can come back to discussing them later on um, in the conversation. Thank you very much. And now to Farouk. Thank you, Tony. And uh, first of all, thank you to the RSA for hosting us today. This is an excellent event, and thank you all for joining us. Um, I first want to say, of course, that the achievement of getting the SDGs in place is a remarkable one. Uh, we have to really think about what we've got to. And whilst there's still a lot of work to do, I think very strongly, at least in rhetoric, political rhetoric, this is a major step forward. It is a recognition that the answer to the poverty problem is not just economic growth. It is sustainable development. That's hugely significant. That being said, there are some major challenges we have to now face in the implementation of the goals, which essentially started just over a month ago on the 1st of January. So we're well into it already. So we really have to get cracking. Um, I want to talk about three things in particular, very much linking to what Roseanne said, picking up some of those points. The first point is around universality. This is, these are goals for everybody. The second is around integration. 
the true approach that sustainable development calls for. And the third aspect is multi-stakeholderism. I think there's very broad recognition that these goals cannot be achieved through public policy alone. So how then do we do it? How do we work together? So jumping back to the top, universality. This is a point that I do not think can be said often enough or more loudly enough. It is so important. These goals are for everybody. They are global goals for humanity's future, all of humanity. And for me, universality represents a pact between developing countries and developed countries in the sense that if we are asking developing countries to leapfrog, leapfrog a form of development and derive new development pathways, that is, of course, sustainable development, to get to the point of development that we have experienced now, the types of standards of living that we experience, um, that is the hard thing to do. I mean, they are foregoing the way we did, which is through rampant natural resource and fossil fuel exploitation. They're going to have to do it the hard way. If we're asking them to do that, in return, we've made a deal, which is that we will look at changing our socioeconomic patterns and lifestyles to be more sustainable, the way we live as individuals. And if they don't see us being bothered to do this, to really fundamentally begin to change how we live our lives and to reduce our own impacts on the planet and on other people, they will turn around and say, well, to hell with it. We're just going to develop the way you did, i.e. through natural resource exploitation, and the world will be going to hell in a handbasket. Universality matters so much. It's more than a principle. It is a concept. It's a deal. We have to get it right. And, of course, that means that we are all a part of this agenda. The second point on integration in a former report, Stickle the Forum characterized three types of integration and then analyzed the SDGs to see how well they were done. Um, the three types are taking first a systems-based holistic approach. The SDGs do not do that. They are very clearly, as uh, Hugh mentioned, based on vertical silos. Um, of course, the best mind in the world working alone in a dark room would struggle to come up with a truly holistic systems-based set of performance management indicators and goals let alone trying to do it through 193 countries in a negotiation process, some of whom are literally at war with one another. So I kind of left them off the hook for not doing the first type of integration. The second type of integration is the balancing of the three dimensions of sustainable development, economic, social, and environmental. The goals and the targets are not bad in that regard. Uh, We've done some assessment. They do a reasonable job. Of course, when you start getting down to the targets, some of the social targets are obviously going to be bias more towards the social aims than, say, the environmental ones, but it's not bad. The third type is where we can still do a lot of great work. That's on the interlinkages between goals and targets. And that is where we can really add some value. And that is all about joined-up working, joined-up government, joined-up public policy, and joined-up partnerships for action. And we have to get better at this. Uh, This is a very comprehensive agenda. It's both broad and vague. That's not a bad thing. The ambition is good for obvious reasons, and having the broad, comprehensive approach is not bad. And the vagueness is actually not necessarily even an insult. We cannot be overly prescriptive about how countries and individuals and organizations and grassroots bodies are meant to implement this. It cannot just be a purely top-down approach. We have to leave a bit of room for interpretation. And that really is the challenge now. How do we interpret these goals to apply them to the domestic setting in all countries at once? That is a huge job, but it's very exciting. And the last point about multi-stakeholderism links very much to that. As I said, there is very clear recognition from the governments themselves that this agenda, given its ambition and its breadth, cannot be delivered through public policy alone. We need all hands on deck. And this is very clearly linking back to a quote from Mandela. None of us acting alone can achieve success. 
course, he was talking about apartheid, but I think it very much clearly applies here as well. We are also trying to save the world as much as he was trying to save his world. And I think that we have to think more clearly about these things. The most progressive government in the world would struggle to do this by themselves. And let's be honest, we don't have the most progressive government in the world in the UK at the moment in time. So we're going to have to do it ourselves. We're going to have to pick up the slack and find ways to work together. And this links back to the universality point. This is a responsibility of all of us. We have 15 years to put the world on a sustainable pathway. We will have to change the lifestyles of all Britons to do that. How are we going to possibly do that? And can we even begin to do it without civil society and private sector working together along with governments? And we have to overcome some of these old mindsets uh, of, you know, private sector is the problem. Yes, they are part of the problem. But then logically speaking, if they're part of the problem, they must be part of the solution. We have to work with them. And that requires everybody coming together for identifying new and unique ways of horizontally integrating the way in which we see the world and how we're going to change it. I look forward to the chat and where we go next. Thank you very much. And now Piers. Oh, I see a neat little segue from all hands on deck to Project Everyone because our objective was always about getting the goals out there as widely as possible, to popularise them, to make them famous. But not famous for fame's sake. Famous because if people know about their rights, then they can campaign for them and advocate for them and put pressure on not just government, but also business to try and deliver to the goals. So the project was set up and devised by Richard Curtis, so, and I'm not going to attempt his voice, but I am going to steal one of his anecdotes that he always saw the fantastic work that happened under the framework of the Millennium Development Goals. Um, and it frustrated him that people didn't know that these goals existed. You lot all know that they exist, but, you know, with the best will in the world, we're a room full of geeks. We're a room full of development geeks, and the rest of the world didn't know that these goals existed. So Richard's challenge was, can we give this new set of goals a massive launch? He, he said the MDGs were the Shawshank Redemption. When it came out, no one really cared. Turned out, one of the best films of all time. What he wants to do is to make the, the launch of the SDGs like the new Star Wars, a massive opening weekend. Um, so this, this time round, we set out to do three things. Brand the goals, give them an enormous loud launch, and then tell... 7 billion people. More on that in a minute. Um, so in terms of branding the goals, yes, we, we feel that the term sustainable development goals is not always going to be the most attractive and useful one, maybe on social media or maybe if you're talking to young audiences. So we adopted the term global goals. We created those beautiful icons that I'm sure most of you will have seen that represent the goals themselves. And the, these, these tools become, were made open source for anyone to use to start getting the message of the goals out there. The loudest launch we projected, we, we wanted to create a media moment out of it. We wanted mass mainstream awareness. So we projected, we video mapped on the side of the UN building. We raised flags everywhere from the North Pole to North Korea um, to, to create a press moment. We partnered with Global Citizen to put on an enormous gig in Central Park in New York. Um, and then the final bit was about trying to tell everyone. 
try and tell everyone that this amazing set of goals has been agreed by 193 leaders. Um, and so we looked at the population of the planet and tried to identify how we could reach them and then sort of went from there. So we, taught, we put together a, a lesson plan and assets to, for, for teachers to use. And that, the world's largest lesson was taught in over 160 countries, reaching millions of children, creating this new generation of, of awareness and of campaigners. Uh, as was mentioned, I set up a pop-up radio station that covered 75 different countries. We sent a text message to 935 million users we had digital campaigns. We took over the homepage of, um, of um, Google, of YouTube, of MSN, of Baidu. Um, there, there was a cinema ad. There was a poster campaign with 120,000 poster locations. Uh, and Farouk, you told me earlier how many people have heard of the girls? Well, this is a, a, just my <laughs> estimate, but, and it's a liberal one. I think it's 100 million people may have heard of these SDGs. So... We tried everything. We think in some soft way or another, we, we think we might have touched 3 billion, but actually we're still only at kind of a 100 million mark. And we strongly believe that there's a massive job to do here, whereby if we all partner together with civil society, with business, with UN, with CSOs, and as individuals, we can help <laughs> achieve, achieve the goals. Um, so our plans for the year ahead... We want to continue to help create this common framework on the goals. So we want to encourage business, uh, charity, NGOs to label their activities using the goals and to use the language of the goals to talk about how all of this activity can ladder up to achieving the goals. Secondly, we want to storytell and visualise progress against the goals. Ultimately, we want people to care about the goals, so let's not talk in sort of abstracts like gender equality. Let's, let's make it real. Every girl should have the right to go to school. Let's talk about the outcomes of the goals, and let's find ways of bringing all of this data that people are rightly excited and interested about, but let's bring it to life. Let's find ways of making it communicable and translatable. And finally, we think that there should be an annual moment to keep the global goals live and on the, on the agenda. An accountability moment, uh, again, across the panel, we've heard, we've heard already about Hugh talking about measurement and monitoring and accountability. But let's, you know, we're working with brilliant people like Data Partnerships and the People's Report Card to take this raw data, find the stories, and find what is going to engage the audience when I talk about an audience, sorry, find what's going to engage people, ordinary people, in the message of the girls. Uh, and that's the plan for this year, and uh, we'll come on to how you lot can get involved at the end. Phenomenal achievements, Piers, thank you. <clears throat> so I think we'll, we'll let you off calling us all geeks um, <laughs> for that. Uh, so... It's listening to that, that was a really excellent, rich summary of, of, all, of all, both the exciting vision but also the challenges ahead of us. It, it's hard not to conclude it's not just Project Everyone, it's Project Everything as well. And it, it's quite overwhelming. So I'd just like to ask the panel one question, actually, which struck me. Which, um, well, this almost calls for uh, a new um, step change in the way we think about democratic participation because 
I wonder if we currently have the tools and the mindsets and the experience and the practices to achieve the, the universality, to have civil society actually hold accountable, to have people in the wealthy north actually play their part to allow the global south room to develop. And that, do our current structures of the way we think about getting stuff done, are they actually up to the job? Are we here sort of talking about a new shift that maybe is one that's appropriate for this century where citizens are much more actively engaged in co-producing the outcomes around them in society? Is anybody thought... I think you must have winced when you heard the phrase joined up government from Farouk, so perhaps I should start with you. And Farouk is right. I mean, it, it, it is immensely challenging, uh, but it's not undoable. There are, there, are, there are very boring machinery of government things you can do to get policymakers sitting around and seriously, seriously addressing these issues in a joined up way. But there are also, um, I'll speak as a policymaker and as a legislator for a moment, there are also ways you can change the mindset of politicians. I'm going to leave the civil society to one side for, uh, of policy, politicians and policymakers. If you look at some of the innovative thinking in some of the devolved institutions we have at the moment, if you look in Wales, Future Generations Act, uh, sustainability legislation, um, so that we have joined a policy that doesn't ask... In, uh, which, by the way, tackles issues to do with social justice and well-being. Now, we somehow need to find the same framework mechanisms that engage policymakers to say, stop doing it in your own silos. However, I, th I think the point that's been made by uh, Farouk and Pierce and others about the wider civil society is right. This is now going to be an endless campaign frankly, this is an endless, non-stop campaign that has to hold people like me to account. So we can do some of the mechanistic stuff to try and make it work better internally. We actually need daily, the annual moment, daily moments uh, that keep our, fire, our, our toes to the fire. Well, so, Rosanne, can I ask you then, actually, to speak on behalf of civil society NGOs, say, um, and Farouk will as well, but um, so how can actually NGOs and civil society step up to the plate to, to help make this happen? Yeah, it's a, a, a huge question um, and quite a challenge, I think. But um, throughout the negotiation process, um, I spent a fair amount of time um, in the UN and working with um, colleagues from other um, organisations within civil society. And I think the thing that, for me, that set this process apart was how everyone could have a voice, how many people, how many different voices were involved um, in the bringing together of the goals. So I think the precedent has been set. Um, and I think, yes, there may be a a bit of a way to go in terms of um, uh, reaching everybody on the planet, but I think Project Everyone definitely has, has um, kicked that off in a, a fairly phenomenal way. Um, so I think the challenge is for us to is to continue that and to engage in those processes. But I think also looking at you know accountability at data and you know the, these indicators and how we measure this, uh, it's very easy when we're talking about data and accountability that actually people feel quite isolated from that. So I think you know how can we work to make sure that there are those processes that people. Can can get involved in, that they know that they can be involved with it, and where data is collected, um, that people can actually use that and analyse that and talk about it and say, this is what this means, so that they are then able to sit down with politicians and say, well, um, why is this the way it is? This is what we want to see changed. Um, and I think that's the challenge. I think, um, you know, the goals have just been established, so I think this is a process that um, will need to be developed in the coming months. Um, but I think where there are those groups um, that, that have expertise in those specific areas where we can, let's all come together. Um, and there might be people in this room even that, that have some of that expertise already um, to drive this agenda forward. 
Farouk, your thoughts? Um, well, I think your question is excellent. And for me, it's a governance question. And let me preface everything I'm about to say by saying governance is my bag, and I love it. <laughs> but I think that governance is a very unique part of the SDG framework. It's the one goal, goal 16. It's not really called governance, but whatever. Um, that is, it's unique in the sense that it's both an enabler and an outcome. The other goals, the first 15, our outcomes, and the goal 17 is really enablers about the means of implementation. So governance is so exciting in the sense that it will help you deliver sustainable development, and it's also an outcome, or an outcome, sorry, an aim of what you're trying to achieve in sustainable development. And we desperately need it. For me, this is all about making sure that we have more participatory decision-making systems in place. And Rosanne's very much right. The SDG design process was one of the most inclusive and participatory in history. We now need to replicate that in 193 countries on the ground because big decisions need to be made about how you're going to do that. In many of these countries, these are not very much open to stakeholder input on how governments run their business, but we have to force it. We have, there's no hope if we're not going to do it this way, frankly speaking. Um, of course, the theory is the more inclusive and participatory and transparent the decision-making system is, the better the outcomes that will, will be coming out of it, but also the greater the buy-in for those decisions there will be. This is the only way. And for me, I think you're right. This has to shift. We have to begin a shift from a representative democracy, yeah. I'm sorry, Hugh, no, to no, something right. called more yeah. what I call participatory democracy. And we have a very clear tool here that we've never really truly employed very well. It's called the Internet. I don't know about you guys, but I can't plan a birthday party anymore without Facebook. And we have to get better at using the Internet to help us actually make big decisions about the world and its future. And we don't do that very well. Brilliant. So we, we can design the best possible participatory processes, right? But people still need to participate. Mm -hmm. So the ambition is that everybody knows about the SDGs, the global goals, let's call yeah. them. Um, how many need to actively engage to make this happen, do you, do you think? Um, I mean, I, I'd say it's probably impossible to, put a, put a, to quantify specifically, but I think that there is a real thing about involving, involving citizens, but particularly involving a young generation in uh, advocating for, for, for action in this. And I think that they are uniquely set up and receptive for it. And I read this amazing article about drawing a line between being a fan of a band and campaigns. And I, I love this analogy that if you're a fan of a band, all you want to do is tell your friends about it and create a little sort of pocket of enthusiasm. But then the little pocket of enthusiasm for this band, they, 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 they overlap with one in a neighbouring town and before you know it, One Direction are everywhere, um, for example. But if we can try and involve young people so they feel like they can make a difference in the achieving, achievement of the goals, we will create little pockets of fans. And I think this fandom can ripple out and have a real sort of powerful effect on, on, on the, their leader's desire to, to see results. Well, that, um, you've lost one young person, unfortunately. My son can't bear one direction, but never mind. Uh, it's, no, but I think that's interesting because that picks up again on, on the key um, role of the millennials or which of the younger generation. And maybe that's partly because also that is a generation that is more used to um, not consuming content but actively co-creating content. 
through YouTube and through you know, other ways. So that, I mean, that sounds quite promising. Um, I'd like to sort of bring it back, though, to one question about um, making it bite, really, the interpretation, the accountability, the metrics. Uh, and is that now in the hands of civil society to make that happen? I mean, what, is there a danger that, that after the huge excitement of the launch, it just fizzles out into something that doesn't bite? Fruit, would you like to comment on that? Well, I'd say, I mean, I, I get the pleasure and honour of travelling all over the world to other countries to talk about this, and less so in the UK. So there is a good degree of buzz still going. But, I mean, Roseanne pointed out that this is a goal-target indicator framework. In fact, we've only we've signed off an incomplete framework in New York in September. We've only signed off the goals and the targets. The indicators are still very much under development. And it's so often the case, the devil is in the detail. And in this case, the detail is in the indicators. We don't have the global indicators yet. That won't come until March. Then I think we'll need another General Assembly resolution by September. So we won't really even know what the global set of indicators for the SDG are until then. Then there'll be 193 individual processes to design national indicators because we're going to have to report at that level as well. There's a long way to go even in the design side of stuff. So there's a buzz here, and I think the point is we have to get involved because those indicators will show us very clearly what we need to do, and that's right. where we'll have to do it. So the NGO, civil society, we have to redouble our effort, push harder. We have to get this right because this is the meat of the skeleton. Great. Um, now, I'd really like to, to get involved with the audience now. So... Thank you. Hi, um, my name is Andy Chapman. I run a um, systems coaching company called Change the Conversation. Uh, I just want to um, absolutely uh, support what Farouk said about uh, the need for new forms of participatory democracy if this is going to have any chance at all of succeeding. Um, and it seems to me that there are two key words here, one of which is power and one of which is trust. Unless governments um, and other institutional bodies who currently are in positions of power are willing to share some of that power with civil society, and unless we as civil society are able to build trust between um, different groupings, different segments of society, different um, slices through the system, uh, we will struggle with this. Um, we do know... Uh, quite a lot about how to do this. I think the internet is very important, but I don't think it's just about the internet. I think, particularly for building trust, we need to have new ways of getting together in person. Um, but I think, unless the power thing is is acknowledged up front, this is going to be a very long, hard and unsuccessful road. Okay, thank you for your comments. Please, sir. Hello, my name is uh, Michael Shearer. I'm a fellow at the RSA. Uh, my question is about the involvement of the private sector in, in implementation at a time when we're seeing catastrophic uh, job losses and cuts uh, across a variety of sectors, what is it that we need to, the message that needs to go to the CEOs of the global corporations in order to get them to not only maintain their financial and human capital contribution to the goals, but to actually increase it? Thank you. Great. Okay, role of uh, private enterprise, global corporations. And the final question in this round. Yes, Keith White from Crown Agents Foundation. Uh, actually, I was going to ask virtually the same question, but it does seem to me that unless you can engage the boards of companies large and small, international and domestic, in the concept that within their strategic plans, there needs to be not only a recognition, but an adoption of those goals to which they can make a serious contribution and see it to the benefit of their business. That seems to me to require some significant advocacy 
Otherwise, what we're going to drift into is another tick box exercise for the compliance director. We'll go right to left. Okay. Well, I think on the first point, you're absolutely right about the power and trust. I think that in my experience, in my work, stakeholder forum, I've, uh, I always say very broadly for stakeholders that while our diversity is our biggest strength, our plurality is sometimes our biggest Achilles heel. We create a cacophony of noise, and it makes us easy to ignore. And you're completely right on the trusting. It's not just about the Internet. We need face-to-face interaction, but we have to get to that point. And in my closing remark, I'll offer a platform that Tony mentioned in the beginning on how we can do that in the U.K. I think it's absolutely essential, linking to the point that he was making about accountability. We're going to have to figure out a way to join our forces and do this together to hold our government to account for the commitments that it made in our name in New York and elsewhere. Um, the involvement of private sector is massive. I think you're completely right. It has to get done. I would say very clearly, though, that I think there are some good things here. For me, it's about there is profit to be made from doing the good and right thing. And I think that CEOs are beginning to recognize that. And that is a jobs incentive. I mean, where are the jobs going to come from if not from the shift to new industries, the industries that sustainable development provides? Okay, thanks. I think on the on the point on the private sector, um, I think it's such such an interesting question, and and evidently the private sector is going to have a very key role to play in this, as we've we've covered already. There are a number of different stakeholders that will need to be involved in order to deliver this. Um, and what what does it look like? I think on issues such as data, for example, often that's that lies the private sector. That's where a lot of the the, the new technology and best practice um, on how to how to generate data comes from. So there is a really interesting conversation to be had there. Um, just recently in Davos, a global um, commission on business and, and sustainable development was launched, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing what that um, what that looks like. It looks like a very um, interesting setup, um, looking at exactly how business can engage in a way that is beneficial um, and brings in um, those different um, corporations that, that might be able to, to contribute uh, to the different um, goal areas as well. Yes, I think for... Um, I'm, I'm gonna, just going to go business, if I may. Um, I mean, I, 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 totally, I totally agree with Michael and Keith. Um, up to this point, we've been hugely fortunate to have a relationship with big mis- business. Unilever, Paul Polman, driving the agenda of that company. I think one of the things is to storytell about best practice from people like himself. He's just been made one of the SDG advocates that were quietly launched in Davos. Um, I think that there is a sort of two-phase approach, probably three-phase approach. There is this idea that businesses often do fantastic things already, uh, either in their day-to-day work or how they operate their supply chain or or their CSR, and I think that there is a place to kind of badge that with the the goals that it represents. Um, And I think that we see it as one of our um, ambitions to be able to provide toolkits for, uh, for, for businesses to use to engage employees with, with these concepts, to make it not just to go for um, the people that care about the development agenda, but to make, to make it accessible and mainstream. And then I also think that it's our job, once we've hooked the interest to pass over to the experts, so the B team or the Global Compact or the, or you know, PwC and KPMG have both put together incredibly well thought out matrices for business. Um, I don't understand any of them, but I'm sure you two would. And I think it's our job to sort of to to 
to signpost people towards those resources. Great. Hugh, what would you add to that? Um, quite a bit in very short, uh, snappy ones. First of all, I want to be the one person on the panel that speaks up for representative democracy <laughs> because actually participatory democracy has a huge role to play. And there's two factors to that. It's whether you then have governments nationally but internationally that respond to that participatory democracy in a genuine engagement and, and not simply in what we've already seen at the, you know, the, uh, at the high level, but now when we get to the detail as well, or they just give it a nod and say, yeah, 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 we're very interested in what you're saying, but actually we're going to keep the control and so on. Um, what I would like to see is that certainly from our government that they thoroughly do engage, but... My, in speaking up for representative democracy, it'll actually be those policymakers that are elected that will need to get on with setting some frameworks for doing this, as well as the monitoring. So don't rule them out entirely. Um, the second thing I would say is that uh, certainly in terms of the corporate environment, um, this I, I'm also relatively optimistic, but I think this needs to go beyond beyond the pure CSR departments and not just into the boardrooms, but into the buyers and everybody else. Um, and that's what needs to be done. Now, government can help with that as well. Um, industry needs to take a lead of all sorts, but also government helps to set a narrative as well as wider civil society. They help to lead in some of the things that they do, uh, and they certainly have power to influence the corporate sector, should they choose to. It needs an active government to get in and say, we are committed to this, we're now asking you to step up as, as well and bolt it in. I'm a firm subscriber, if any of you don't go, go away and read some of the stuff that Will Hutton uh, writes about The Economist, where he says what we need is, what we've lost is, in some respects, is companies with purpose, actually what are they there to do to give back to society, not just shareholder value, but what are they there? Are they there to create a better world? Well, yeah, they should be, but we need to find ways to encourage them to do that. And in all of this, my final point on the representative democracy, don't negate the role of government. If we have a positive, active government that really wants to make this happen, that wants to go beyond the comfort zone, and that's where the participatory democracy comes in, if, if there are, if there are 100,000, 200,000 or 60 million UK citizens that say to the us as representatives, get on with this and don't just do the bare minimum, don't do the compliance approach, be ambitious, then we will do it. And I've seen some great examples of that. You look at the original Millennium Development Goals campaigning. Uh, in some ways now we look at it, it's old-style campaign. It was before there was a great deal of internet stuff. But my goodness, when you had uh, two, 3,000 people queued across Westminster Bridge coming to see their MPs to say, we demand you do this, it has a big influence. Participatory democracy can really work. Thanks a lot. My name is Bernadette Fischlein from WWF, and we, we love the SDGs. We have been part of the process from the very beginning and will stay with them until the bitter end, or the glorious end. I want to say that just because I think what I'm going to say next might come across a little bit negative. Um, this event is called From Vision to Reality, and if I look at the UK reality, I wonder a little bit who we are actually trying to be kidding here, because nobody has yet mentioned DFID. The Prime Minister has handed over the lead on the SDGs to DFID, and DFID, in his recent aid strategy, mentions sustainability, sustainability not really, and also not the SDGs by name, actually. So DFID is not really good on sustainability. Um, Justin Greening says that everything we need to know about SDG implementation in the UK, we can find in the Tory manifesto. And that's also slim pickings on sustainability, believe me. 
So um, how are we actually going to get to our multi-stakeholder inclusive process and our cross-departmental SDG implementation strategy and all of that? Because at the moment, the way the core stiffit is on, they will end up with the MDG plus agenda. And we will have to make sure that the S in SDG still stands for sustainability and not for sorry we didn't get our act together. Okay. Well, my, my question is really quite simple. My name is Yetunde Hoffman. I run a small change leadership advisory practice, but a community organization called the Enjoyable Life Series. I am inspired by the sustainable development goals. I'm Nigerian by background, and I'm very excited. My challenge, however, is that for an individual person, a member of the public who's desperate to get involved, when I go to the website, I just see these big-name companies. I have worked for some of them, and I see big governments, and, and I hear very lofty talking. But for the individual on the ground who's excited and wants to contribute and do something, what do you advise? Thank you. Janet West. I'm an environmental strategist working in the broadcasting connected world field. I want to bring up the point you made, Farouk, about we've got to get everybody to change their lifestyle, not just... Um, consumers, but business, shareholders of companies, everybody. And also peers bringing up, how do you get that message across? I pitched for a Bob Delgoff type program a couple of years ago to try and do 12 hours globally of trying to get society motivated. What were the advantages of actually addressing the sustainability goals, not just to save the planet or to help save the children, but what could it actually do to your lifestyle? The response was, oh, interesting, Janet, but it's not sexy. <laughs> My question is, how do we make that message sexy to get engagement of society? Right, and final question. Thank you, um, Jenny Freeman. I, I would like to suggest that a lot of the direction of your campaign should be towards young people because you're talking long-term and young adults, people in their 20s and 30s, I mean, often they already do subscribe to sustainable development goals, but don't practice them necessarily, being massive rubbish food consumers and great uh, tossers away of good food. I've seen that myself amongst my children and their friends. So it's just a comment that that might be a very fertile ground on which to seed um, your campaign. I think, thank you. I think we can maybe wrap that into the question about how to make it sexy as well. So, Piers, would you like to start with that one? We've tried to make it sexy in many different ways, obviously using the power of um, celebrity advocates. Um, it, it's, a bit of, it's a bit of a cop-out. I think making it directly relevant to different countries, much of what we tried to do uh, was a kind of universal global approach, but where we had real success was when we empowered YouTubers in Brazil and YouTubers in India and said, you know your audience, here's a small amount of money, make something funny about the girls. Great. Rosanne, Diffid. Diffid. <laughs> okay. Um, Bernadette, um, on your points around Diffid, um, I would agree, I think there's um, more that we, definitely more that we need to hear um, as yet from the government um, around what SDG implementation looks like um, for them. Um, I think one thing that I've been very encouraged by is the announcement of uh, a Leave No One Behind promise, um, which was announced by the Prime Minister at the UN General Assembly back in September, which really committed to putting the furthest behind first and really put the UK government out there in a number of different areas around how, um, what Leave No One Behind
behind at the centre of the agenda means to them. So I'm really excited to hear about what that actually means, and we'll definitely be um, urging them to, to um, make some more, uh, make it much much clearer about how they wish to deliver on that. Great, Farouk. What, what about that, that lady's question about going and it seeming off-putting, you know, corporates and. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a very, very important point, and it, I guess it does link to the third one as well. Personally, I think there's nothing more sexy than trying to save the world, but uh, I have, I'm a big comic book fan, so I guess that might say a lot of um, And I think the two things are linked. I mean, we have to get to this level of specificity about, okay, what does this mean for individuals? We haven't done that yet. That's still a narrative challenge, and I think we're getting there slowly. So to link to this point about... It is all about individuals at the end of the day. I mean, any organization is comprised of individuals. And ultimately, we need to change organizational mindsets, and that has to be driven by individuals' values. And so for me, these things are inherently linked. And it's slow off the start. I agree, it's very daunting. It's for, you know, you see these big names, and you don't see an opportunity for individuals to get involved. That's partially because right now that's still at that global level. And now we're shifting gears, and we're shifting to implementation, which happens at primarily the nationals and grassroots levels. So these things are coming, and this is the reason why we're here, to talk about what this has happened and our, our initiative, which I guess we'll That's come great. on to at the very end. Thank you. Well, actually, it's time now to have... Um, I'm going to ask you who to, to address any of these comments, but then run on to your final thought that you want to leave us with. Uh, well, my final thoughts will run on from the, my response to Marley Fisher from WWF. Um, it's, it's not acceptable. It, it simply isn't... It isn't acceptable... It, it, it doesn't have any integrity to say that um, the approach to the government on SDGs is within any manifesto. It simply isn't. The granulation uh, that Fruit talks about, the detail, the detail needs to be brought through. And that's actually where um, we've got a job of work to do right now to really get that in levels of ambition within that detail on our goals, both domestically and internationally, and including within DFID. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I, I'd be embarrassed to say that as a, as a Labour Party representative, say, have a look at the one line in the, the, our manifesto, and that, that's everything. Far from it. Um, the second point uh, I would say is, this comes back to the point I made earlier, and it's my concluding point. Uh, when all of this is said and done, we can't leave government simply to say that they're now achieving it. There has to be somewhere, somewhere, independent analysis, maybe societal-wide analysis, maybe, um, maybe analysis that's empowered by data sets that are out there amongst people, citizens, academia, etc. But I think there is also a role for parliamentarians. We have very powerful select committees now, much more powerful than they used to. They're growing in stature. I think there is a role. Uh, for select committees in actually not just agreeing with the government when they set targets, but if they're not ambitious enough saying, this is where we think they should be and we're going to measure you on that, not where you've set them. Thank you, Hugh. Roseanne, what's your final thought? What's my final thought? Gosh, um, the, the challenge has been set now um, and it's up to governments around the world to implement and that may mean different things for different people, but in doing that they do need to, um, to reach these goals and targets for those children who are the furthest behind and you will hear us uh, talking a lot about that um, in the coming months. Great, thank you. Very well, my final thought is I wish we could continue all afternoon. Yeah. There's so much to discuss. <laughs> but actually, I will leave you with both a pitch and an offer. Uh, ourselves with WWF UK, along with many other partners, including the RSA and UN Global Compact UK, have set up a new initiative called UK Stakeholders for Sustainable Development. Uh, of course, in the wake of the old SDC closing in 2011, there is no multi-stakeholder platform to bring us together, to work across constituencies and sectors to drive this forward to make our own plans, to work with government, because he's very much right, it's not 
public policy still has a massive role in this. We have to work with government, but also then hold them account. And so we're looking for new partners. We're having uh, our next event is with the Office of National Statistics in, in a few weeks to look at what UK indicators are needed for the SDGs. And we're having a big conference on the 25th of April. So come see me if you're interested. Get involved. And this will be a way in which you can help achieve the SDGs. Excellent. That's a call to action from Fruit. Thank you for that. And finally, Piers, uh, can you send us away with a spring in our step? Uh, probably not, but uh, a, a similar call to action of uh, the globalgoals.org site has so many resources. So if, if people are looking to take action, there's what can I do as an individual? There's lesson plans for, you know, if you are teachers or, or parents to share with your schools. There is a business toolkit on there. It's going to be redeveloped to make it easier and sexier. Um, there, there are all of the icons available, in, certainly in English. If you want them in any of the other 22 languages that we've translated them into, then just email me. Uh, but yeah, if you want the toolkits and if you want the assets to, to tell people about the goals, then please feel free to go, go to the site. Thank you. Well, indeed, I wish we could, we could definitely carry on. Thank you for your contribution, those online, those in the room, and not least to our panel. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not download our free app to access video and audio files on the go? Just visit our website, the rsa.org, and follow the links to the RSA Vision mobile app.